get here and want a creative job. There are hundreds of jobs that will pay you to think, solve, make, create and design. In How Did I Get Here, I speak to entrepreneurs, leaders, trendsetters and trailblazers in some of the world's most desirable jobs and ask them, how did you get here? Today, I'm speaking with George Prest. George is the founder of Blood and a partner at You and Mr. Jones. Previously, George has served as Executive Creative Director of RGA and as Executive Creative Director of ad agency Lowe. George has served on the board of trustees of DNAD, the world's foremost creative charity, and regularly speaks at marketing events around the world. I've been looking forward to speaking to George, as I know he's got some very challenging views about the creative industry. Without further ado, please enjoy my interview with George Prest. Could you just tell listeners what you do for a living, in your own words? Uh, yeah, I, I run a small creative and strategic business called Blood. Um, we solve big problems for advertising, marketing clients. I think we do it in a way that is not the way that it would be done in a traditional ad agency. I think that we've spent quite a lot of time building a company that, that does things differently. Um, and I think you know a big part of possibly what we'll talk about today is that there are lots of different ways you can be a creative person these days. And, and yeah, we set out to, to make blood a, a different kind of creative business. In addition to that, I, I invest in tech businesses and, and acquire tech businesses as part of a role in a company called You and Mr. Jones, and I can talk a bit more about that further down the line. But basically, I, I, I apply creative thinking to, to big, hairy problems for, for smart people. Okay. Um, now, I realize uh, a lot of time in this business there's things you can't reveal, but could you give us some examples of some things you did yesterday at work? Well, funnily enough, yesterday morning I, I gave a speech to a group of people about Blood and you and Mr. Jones and, and what we do. Um, I came back here and I worked with a couple of teams who we've got working on particular briefs that we've got from clients at the moment, spent some time with them. I interviewed three people because we're trying to hire a, a whole bunch of people because we've got a, a really exciting new project to work on in the new year. Um, and then I went and had a beer with someone who works at Google, funnily enough. Um, okay. Yeah. What a diverse day. So... Um... We'll uh, sort of ramp up a little bit and we'll get into some deeper questions. But for now, why um, why do you do what you do? Other than sort of paying bills, paying the mortgage, what sort of um, need does your job fulfil for you? Um, I guess I was just never the sort of person who was going to put a suit on and go and work in a traditional business. You know, the city, law, or, you know, whatever other aspirational jobs there are out there. Um, I've always thought of myself as a slightly creative person but I don't think I'm the most creative person in the world um, but I love writing I love words I love simplifying things and I love making stuff and and, and I guess it always comes back to, to kind of solving problems applying a bit of brain power to to something and coming up with a unexpected solution to it okay um, tell me a little bit about where you uh, where you grew up um, I had a fairly normal upbringing I was born in London my parents moved around the country a bit um, I went to university in 
Scotland. Um, I'm very normal person. There really, there isn't, there isn't much to say no about crazy that. Crazy trips to the Middle East. Or no, 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 no. I've always, I've always been in this country. Had a fairly, yeah, fairly unsurprising upbringing. Okay. And um, what was your sort of first real experience with the creative industry when you saw something and you thought, I want to do that? I was at, I was at university. Um, I think, as with everybody at university, you line up various bits of work experience. Um, interestingly, you know, in relation to what I just said, I, I did some work experience in a financial business. I did some work experience in a in a barrister's chambers. Actually, I think being a barrister is something I would have quite enjoyed because it's like standing up and speaking and thinking on your feet. And then I I did some work experience in an advertising agency. Um, back then, I went to an agency called Low Howard Spink, which doesn't really exist anymore. And then I went to an agency called M&C Saatchi, which does exist. And it was while I was at M&C Saatchi, I was sitting in, in the information department, which doesn't even exist anymore because everyone just goes online to find out. But in those days, you had something called information, which was like a group of people who would just dig into things and find out facts and do research. And while I was there, I, I saw this place called the creative department where people came in and they came up with ideas and they wrote scripts for television adverts and... They went off and filmed those adverts, and um, it looked like quite a fun job. You know, they, they were chucking a rugby ball around the department, or they were, or they were, you know, having fun in the pub together in the evening. And and yet they were seemed to be writing little stories in miniature that then went on TV. And I guess I, I had a moment. I hadn't really thought about the fact that you know, when watching ITV on a Saturday night, because that was what it was before Channel Four came along, which will be like complete. Um, mystery to most people listening to this I hadn't really thought that in order to get those commercials on TV there was someone who sat there and wrote them and who did a bit of lateral thinking against a specific problem that a client gave them and and put a message out on TV on a Saturday night that everybody watched so I sort of made the decision that that was what I was really interested in how did you get that job where you were paid to come up with ideas that your granny then saw on telly you know, three or four months later. And in your specific situation, how did you get that job? Was it placements? Um, did you sort of do a creative I course? Did, and I did some research. Job? Like I, I, I asked, a f- I found a few people who knew a few people who did that job. I went and had a chat with them and said, how did you get the job? And most of them said, I went on a course, uh, I went on the Watford course, which is what it was called. It was actually at West Hearts College. It was a one-year course where they taught you the art, the skill, or whatever it is of being a copywriter or an art director. So I applied to the course in my last year at university. I got a place on it. They take about 20 people a year. Um, As part of that process, they teamed you up, in my case, with an art director. And as part of the course, they also sent you out on little mini placements in various agencies. Really, what they helped you do was put together a book of ideas, which you then at the end of the course, went around all the big agencies and tried to get one of them interested in giving you a a longer-term placement. I was very lucky in that I, my book that I put together with a guy called Johnny uh, was interesting to BBH, Bartle, Bogle, Hegarty. They gave us a placement. Um, They were were one of the best agencies in town, probably still are, actually. Um, And so Johnny and I went in there for three months and we we were, you know, lucky enough to, to get some work out. We made, actually made a TV ad while we were on placement, and and um, they ended up offering us a job. So, I, I was 
my path in was pretty smooth and quite lucky, although I, I kind of, I guess that it was the work that we did at college and the work that we had in our book that, that made us interesting, and it was the work that we did while we were on placement that made them give us a job. Okay. So, you know, for someone that hadn't done a creative course, you think the first port of call is doing a bit of online stalking, finding people that, you know, are doing, doing the job you want to do and, and then pestering them for a conversation. Yeah, I, I guess that that's definitely a way in. I think you probably, like, back, back when I was doing that, and it's quite a while ago now, like, let's say 15, 16, 17 years ago, um, it was quite simple if you were a creatively minded person who wanted to apply that creativity to some sort of commercial enterprise, like an ad agency was the obvious place to go. Um, so the landscape was much simpler. So the kind of education that you needed was much simpler as well. I think what, what I'm really interested in, and I guess why we've set up Blood uh, in particular, is that the types of places that you can go and work these days are much more varied. And I would contend, and I, you know, I don't, you know, I've had 15 great years in ad agencies. That some of the places you can work now are actually much more interesting than a, than a traditional ad agency would be. Um, and I, I don't mean that disparagingly. It's just like you can go and work at Google, you can go and work at Facebook, you can work in a company like Blood, you can work for a digital design company. Like there, there are there are some really interesting progressive places that you can now go as a young person with that kind of with that mindset that's that's like I'm a creative person but I'm interested in business and I'm interested in technology and I'm interested in people and how they live their lives and how you kind of pull all of those things together so I think it's a it's a it's a much more confusing landscape now but it's a much richer one and therefore I guess you know to your question um, what kind of education do you need I'm not sure that going to the college that I went to would be the best preparation for finding the spot for you in the industry right now. I actually think I think the business has kind of become much more vocational. And back then it was like, I'm a creative person. Uh, you know, let me write TV ads because that's that's what I'm good at or I could be good at it. I think now there's a there's a lot more design and and I think you could really you could really think of yourself as as much more of a craftsman. Like you could go, I'm a visual designer or I'm a writer or I'm a you know, I'm actually really interested in, in kind of designing experiences for people. So I might go and kind of become a UX person. There's a, there's a whole load of different jobs that you can do that will get you into much more interesting kind of conversations as well, I think. So I would, I would be like, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about it right now, is, is actually think about it in, in, a, in a slightly narrower sense, unless you want to go and be the person who writes TV ads and conjures up ideas out of thin air, which is still really fun. Like there's a world where you can be creating products or services or apps or experiences and all of those are still part of the marketing world and you can get great jobs doing all of them. So I think you probably need to understand who you are and where you fit into that landscape. Um, and then there are lots of different ways you can get into it. Okay. And the people that get hired here at Blood, um, what three personality traits do you think they all share? Um... I think these days, empathy is just so important. I think so much of what we do now, like in the old days, it would be you'd think about a brand and you'd think about what that brand needed to say to people and you'd be operating in the middle of those two things. I think now we increasingly design stuff around people. We think about people a lot, what they're interested in, what they're passionate about, 
what technology they use, where they go, where they get their information from, the things, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day, like, I just don't watch telly. If I do, I, I flick forward, you know, I, I just I just don't watch it. I, I watch a bit of content online, and I'm 42. Like I'm not 15 or 16 or 17 or anything like that. Like so, the ways the ways to reach people as a brand, the ways to kind of apply that creativity in a commercial sense are are really varied, and you can be you can be building all sorts of of different things. So um, I guess empathy is really important because you start with the person now rather than starting with the brand. I think that um, having a having a specific skill is really important. So being a designer or being a writer or or being an art director, if that's your thing. Um, but then at Blood, we we actually look for hybrid people. So so we're actually looking for people who are good at more than one thing. So we're really interested in you if you are if you are a writer and you can code at the same time, or if you're a a, a visual designer who's actually really strategic because strategies are really like in order to think about people you have to be kind of quite strategic i think to to get it so so i guess we're looking for empathetic people we're looking for hybrid people but who kind of know who they are and then i think because the world has moved on from these big safe environments that are agencies with really structured departments and paths to success i think that some sort of entrepreneurial Go, go getting kind of quality is really important because really if people, when people come to blood and I guess and I know it's kind of you know when they go into Google or wherever you just have to be able to carve out a role for yourself mm. and you have to have that spirit which is even if you're the youngest most inexperienced person there it's just like if someone says something needs doing you kind of stick your hand up and you get on with it and we have a thing here where we we talk about putting on different hats at different stages in the process which is you know at some point in a process that we go through, you might be expected to, to be one kind of person. And actually, at another stage, you might need to be someone else. Not completely different, but you might need to apply a different set of skills that you've got. So empathy key, being good at more than one thing, and and having that entrepreneurial spirit, I think, is that's the perfect combination of people for us. But I kind of imagine that those skills apply in quite a lot of places as well. Okay. Um, what do you think the majority of the industry um, consistently gets wrong and how do you think that translates into what would be bad advice so I'm, I'm just I'm just really interested in in trying to create a space that doesn't have lots of hierarchy in it like the traditional path and I've been through it is like I was a writer then I was a senior writer then I was a creative director then I became an executive creative director and I think that that process gets you further and further away from the bit that matters, which is like applying your brain to a problem and solving it in a really interesting way. So I would say that like, the bigger the organization, the more hierarchy it has to have in it to, to, to survive. And weirdly, the more that gets in the way of creativity and, and solving problems. So... It's a difficult question because when you say the industry, as I've said, the industry is so diverse, but I would be looking for organizations that are run in what we call like a lean or agile way where you put teams of people together depending on their skill sets and depending on what the problem is to be solved and and give them the, empower them to solve it themselves. I'm not a big believer in the the cult of the creative director and Mm. one person having all of the 
there's just such a creative genius that it just all rests yeah. on them to be the yeah that is right I, I'm not I'm not interested in that I, I'm, I'm really interested in finding people who are younger and better than me and giving them the power to make those decisions and and for them to work out how you kind of drop into their process to be useful rather than to be a kind of you know dictator figure who decides what's right and what's wrong so yeah I think I just think structurally a lot of businesses are are not fit for purpose these days um, and there are really interesting ways of of working together as creative people now that that maybe they're not geared up to do mm. okay um, I'm going to ask you a question and it, it's, it does have a yes and no answer um, do you skip adverts yeah absolutely Right, and and what um, it's almost it sounds like a leading question, doesn't it? But uh, I know we spoke before, and I know you know opinions that you've got on the industry. What do you think that says? Because um, I do too, and I imagine anyone who's trying to watch videos of cats um, and is presented with an advert yeah. probably skips it. What do you think that says about the future of our industry? What sort of theories have you got on potential? Future? I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> It's not even a theory, it's like a, it's a reality, which is adverts are not the thing. Like they're, they're just part of how a brand has a relationship with a person. And they're, 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 almost, they're almost the least important bit. Unless, unless the product you're trying to sell is like sufficiently mass and brilliant that you could just, like Apple, you know, you, just, you could just put an ad on telly and everyone would buy it anyway. Like, if you're competing in a space with lots of kind of products that are quite similar or, or, or not even that useful to people anymore or just, or, just like, or just part of what people buy on a day-to-day basis. I, I, adverts will always exist because there will always be media and there will always be people selling that media and... That will get cheaper and cheaper, and the adverts will get worse and worse. Like I don't watch adverts. I think from a professional point of view, occasionally if someone tells me there's a good advert, I'll I'll seek it out just to watch it because I still enjoy. You know, I spent ten years of my life writing adverts, so if someone's done that craft really, really well, I'm still interested to see it because I love. I do actually love storytelling and that kind of thing. Um, I just I haven't written an advert for the last seven years. I've created products and services and experiences and I've, I've rethought brands and I've helped solve my clients' business problems. But advertising is, has not been a part of that. Like, yeah, there, there have been messages, but even I think the way to get a message to someone now is not just to slap it on TV. Mm. You know, there are different ways of doing that and, and you can... I'm actually really interested in, in what brands do rather than what brands say now. I think... This generation in particular, who we call Gen Z, have just grown up with transparency is just something that they expect. Like I have a, I have a 15-year-old son and he goes on news sites and he, and he reads about brands. And he, it sounds weird because I never really believe people did it, but he'll then dig into it mm. and he'll look into the story of those brands and he'll make up his mind whether he thinks it's cool or interesting or something he wants to do. And I think that um, you know, you, the messages you put out are are really important, but they have to be backed up with fact and action these days. And I think creating actions for brands is what I, and behaviors is kind of what I tend to focus on now because I think that's the thing that makes more of a difference. So yeah, I don't, you know, adverts will always exist. There will be a really small amount of people who do it absolutely brilliantly and they'll still have a job because 
you know, I think that that's still a, a really valid thing. I just for me personally, I I'm fascinated by other things these days. Okay. Um, so when you're in a briefing with a client and you're being presented with their um, their business problem, what sort of questions are going through your head, and what kind of questions are you asking other people in the room? And even for the first hour of having that brief, what you know, what are you asking yourself? Trying to solve um, I think, um, but so so we try and we try and work with clients who are really good uh, and and really progressive in the way that they think. Um, I think I guess the first thing to say would be that we don't often get given a brief now. Like we've, or in fact, we've tried to design blood so that we can kind of get into the conversations before the brief is written. And I find that really interesting. Like, and if there is a brief, um, I think that we're always we're always interrogating it, like really fun. Like, let, let's say a client, we we kind of we like to talk about the work that we do is we answer questions, and a client comes to us with a question. What we always do is wind back from that question and say, "Are we? Are you? We actually asking the right question here?" And I think that's that's a really good process to go through. Is like. Someone will come to you with a problem and, and the first thing you, you do is like, is this actually the problem? Mm. Or why do they think this is the problem? What's going on behind that problem that's making it a problem? And, and is there a way of solving it that might actually be in addressing a different question? So I, I think it's just a natural process of interrogation, but also looking at those people who are talking to you as human beings and, and trying to understand what their motivation is and what are the what are the issues that they're facing that makes them think like this is the thing that needs to be solved? Um, beyond that, in the first hour, like I, ever since year dot, I've just sat in a quiet room for the first hour and thought about what I've just heard yeah. and digest. And you almost, I almost don't think about it until the next day. You know, you go you go home, you have some dinner, you sleep, you wake up, you and you just you know you just roll the thing around in your head for a while. Don't jump to any conclusions, um, and then you start to. And then you start to unpick it and have a think about it. Okay. So with those questions, you sort of sounds a little bit to me. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're trying to get to sort of the reality of that business or that product and how people actually interact with it. Is that you know? Yeah, I think I guess it's it's the reality of the business. It, it's it's um it's um it's hard to talk about without talking about a concrete example. And I can't really talk about yeah. <laughs> most of what we do, um, but. Um, you know, a client came to us recently and said, I think I want to build product X. Can you do that for me? And we will go, yeah, we can. But let's think about why you think you want to build product X. What are the, what are the business and brand issues that you've got that make you think you want to build product X? Because maybe there's an answer to those that isn't product X mm. that actually might be better for the, for the thing that you want to do. So I think it's like, when you work with good clients, they've always got ideas of their own. They've always thought really hard about things before they come and see you. They may have a solution that they that they think they've got to the problem already, and it's it's about how you kind of roll back from that and get to the get to the crux of it. Okay. Um, is there um, a book or books that you find yourself gifting away to people a lot, or if not gifting, strongly recommending? Um, not particularly around marketing and creativity there's a really there's a really good book called sprint which was put together by the google ventures team which is more of a methodology 
of working with a small group of people in a short period of time to unlock answers. It's quite a practical thing. It's kind of like a process thing. I'm actually fascinated, like, wind back. When I joined the business, you had art director and copywriter teams who were given a brief and they would sit in an office for a week and pontificate and think and come up with solutions to things. I think in a world now where a lot of problems are solved by groups of people with not much time, um, actually methodology for solving problems is really interesting. So this, this particular book, Sprint, is one that we get everyone to read when they join Blood. It's just because we're trying to design processes where you know, we're, we're solving problems really well and really quickly. And also we, product, we, we create products, so we, we kind of have a thing called an accelerator, which is a six-week six week process. We have a thing called a hack, which is a two-week process, and we and we have one-week things as well. So, um, it's just yeah. So, so I'm really interested in that. That's a really it's just a fascinating book. Like I, I think, you know, so many people talk about creativity as this sort of magical, untouchable thing, but actually, the, a lot of people have spent a lot of time working out how creativity works and how you make it better. So, I'm fascinated by that. And I guess the book, from a personal point of, point of view. Um, I love, there's a guy called Tim Ferriss, who I love, right? He's written various books, um, um, but the latest one is called Tools of the Titans. And he's, he's, he's been doing, funnily enough, he's been doing a podcast series for ages. And, and this book is the, is the result of all of the podcasts that he's done. He's asked all of these amazing, famous thinkers, doers, makers about their sort of personal life hacks. Um, and, and then he's kind of collated those in a book. And it's the kind of book that you can just kind of dip into and dip out of. Um, actually, I gave it to my wife, and she's now given it to all her friends. It's just—it's just a really interesting book. It's not really a creativity thing, although some of the things in there are about process and how you spend your day. Um, but there's lots of really interesting stuff in there. So yeah, I'd um, recommend. That. Okay, when you're really struggling with a project, um, either um, alone with your team, you might be confused or overwhelmed. Do you have any kind of um, habits or processes or sort of routines that you go through to try and get unstuck? Um, I suppose there are two ways to answer that. Me personally, I just go for a walk or go out on my bike or just, I think just kind of do some exercise. Don't think about the problem too hard. Like think about anything but the problem and, and actually you'd be amazed at how many surprising thoughts pop into your mind when you're actually trying not to think about something rather than thinking about it really hard. I guess as a team, what we try and do is if we're struggling is we, we kind of, we wind back a step in the process and we, and we look at what we're trying to do and we break that down into smaller chunks and we go off individually and we think about that smaller chunk and then we come back. Like it's a, it's a fairly standard process. I think, you know, if you're not getting anywhere as a group, like split up and, and think about little bits of it and come back. Um, but I'm a great, and actually it was John Hegarty who, who, who kind of, you know, we were struggling something when we were a very young team at BBH and you just said, let's go for a walk. Don't think about it. Come back in an hour. Tell me what you've got. Um, and that was really, I think that was really good advice. Okay. Um, how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Um, well, it's for me, really, in a really direct way, I was, I was the executive creative director of a big traditional agency. Uh, I wasn't enjoying my job at all. Um, I had a conversation with them about leaving. They kind of agreed it was probably a good idea to do it. Um, you know, in some people's eyes, that would be considered a failure. Although, 
what I did was I went off on I went traveling with my family for six weeks and thought really hard about what I wanted to do and realized that I needed to make a, a shift into into a world of technology and digital and all of that kind of stuff and and, and ended up getting a job at RGA which which really is a place where I learned so much five years that I spent there so I you know failing in inverted commas in a traditional in a big role in a traditional agency forced me to think about why I wasn't enjoying it very much and forced me to realize that the industry was kind of going in a different direction and and get a job somewhere else so yeah it was, it was a good failure okay um similar question so if you struggle with this one that's, you know we can move on is there a um a really worthwhile investment you've made in your life that you think that's probably one of the best investments I've made of money, time, energy. Yeah, I think it's the same. It's kind of the same answer. The, the investment in, in, in taking some time out when I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I also went to South by Southwest. This is about, it was the same thing, I think it was about eight years ago. And just immersed myself in a, in a world of really bright people talking about tech and and got completely out of my comfort zone um and that was amazing i still go every year but you just you take a brain holiday and you go and you go and listen to people talking about stuff you only understand half of yeah but it's a really in fact we're taking everybody from blood there next year and we're, and we're going to take the week off you know tell clients that we're we're not kind of available and just go and gather in the evening and tell each other what we've heard and you know just spend some time together i think it's a it's a great thing. I'm not a big believer in conferences, but well, I'm not a big believer in conferences where people talk about marketing. Mm. But I think if you can go and listen to people talk about other stuff that's relevant to what you do, I think it's really interesting. Okay. Um, are there any sort of quotes, uh, mantras, or phrases that you you not necessarily live your life by, but you kind of you feel yourself saying to yourself often in your work or just your daily life? No, I don't think so. I mean, well, there was one thing that my my grandfather always used to say, which is, um, "It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice." Okay. Which I really like. You know, it's like it, I think it's really saying that you can be vaguely important, but just make sure you're a nice person while you do it. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a big believer in the in the cult of the sort of the brilliant wanker, for want of a better way of saying yeah. it. You know, the Steve Jobs kind of thing. Um, and and you know maybe maybe to be truly brilliant you've you've got to be like that but i personally like, i'm really interested in just people and getting on with them and being a ni- nice person i also like having employed lots of people if you're not a nice person you better be really really good at what you do because there's nothing more um destructive than than having someone unpleasant in the middle of a of a group of nice people mm. Twice as good, at least. I think you probably. Have I, to think, be, I, I, I think we would we would always employ the second best yeah. person if they were nice. Okay. When you hear the word successful, who or what comes to mind? Um. I actually, I I think of people completely outside of what we do. I think you know, people who are such good writers that all they need to do is write books or films or tv shows and and be incredibly happy and successful at it that like that purity of that i mean that is i mean i i got into this business because i i didn't have enough guts or confidence to be a writer i like writing i like words but i didn't have probably the talent or the drive or just the the confidence when i was 
21 to just do that. Um, and so I think, you know, people who write music, people who design buildings, people who write books or whatever it is, I think that's success for me. Is there something you believe that you think other people would deem to be a bit nuts? No. That's a good answer. <laughs> Although answer. I have seen a ghost. Just, wow, yeah. okay. So that might, you know, some people might find we, that a bit We nuts. can come back to that. Yeah. Um, is there anything you're currently struggling with or trying to improve? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I always think, um, like... There are some people out there who are totally relentless. I actually quite like the sort of ebbs and flows and the, the quiet moments and the, and the moments of intense activity. Mm. I, I, I don't think I'll ever be like someone who's just on it 500% of the time. And I kind of admire that in people, although it does make them a bit weird at the same time. So I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sort of working on it, but it's just something I'm aware of. Yeah. Okay, um, let's talk a little bit more about um, blood now. So I'd be really keen to hear, I know people listening would be, um, what separates blood from other companies um, that are solving problems for clients and um, creating digital products and services? You know, what's your unique pitch? Um, I think that we are trying to build a slightly different kind of business. You know, if, if you work in a traditional agency you want to be employed by that client for the whole year it's called a retainer you do everything for them you want to own their entire account you know so you'll make adverts and you'll build web pages and you'll build products and services or you'll do whatever um we are really interested in working for clients on a project basis so we just we just we identify discrete jobs that need to be done for that client we don't want to get very big. We don't have departments, so you won't find a, a head of design or a head of strategy or whatever at Blood. Um, we don't really have job titles because we don't really like them. Um, and we don't pitch. So a large part of what agencies do is spend inordinate amounts of time and money on speculative pitches to win client business. And although they're quite good because they bring teams together and they kind of focus everybody on a, on a really specific job, they're actually just companies giving away their their skills and their talents for free. And I don't think in the long run that has a very good effect on the people that work for you because you're kind of giving away their talent for free as well. And there's a, there's a sort of value equation there. So what is Blood? Blood is, blood is like a, we're a creative and strategic business. We work in groups of two or three or four or five or even one from time to time to solve problems Um and we try and work what's called upstream. So we we work with clients before a brief would traditionally be given to an agency and we get involved in their businesses as well as their brands. Um, it's quite hard to explain in, a, yeah. in really simple terms, yeah, but we're, we're kind of a consultancy, a creative consultancy. And I guess we've built ourselves to do the stuff that we find fun and not do the stuff that we don't find fun. Okay. Is it, and that uh, can make a big difference, can't yeah. it? Uh, tell me a bit more about the accelerators at Blood. How do they work? So I guess um, I guess the, the interesting thing about what we do goes back to the way that we charge our clients. So a traditional agency who is on a retainer basically sells 
an amount of man hours for a year to a client. So at the beginning of a year, they will agree that with the client, this is your team for the year. You will have 70% of a senior strategist. You will have 80% of a creative team. You will, and and there's, a, there's like a really weird equation that gets done where you basically reduce the people who worked for you to boxes on a spreadsheet and percentages of their time. And that's what the client buys. You and the client then decide what projects you're going to do that are going to fill up that time that they've already bought. What we do at Blood is we, we say, that's a total waste of time. That completely devalues the people who work for us. We're actually just going to sell what's called value. So we're going to do projects for you. At the beginning of the project, we're going to agree what the outcomes of that project are, whether it's work or strategy or documents. or you know, There's a whole series of things that we can provide. And before we start, we're going to put a price on those. So it's going to be £200,000, let's say, for, for the output of that project. What that means is, in simple terms, that at Blood, we have to work. The faster we work, the better it is for us. So in a traditional relationship, things take ages. We actually are incentivized to be really quick and really good at what we do. What that means is that we're looking for a set of products or processes that get us to answers as quickly as possible. So an accelerator, in effect, is a, is a, is a product that we sell our clients that has a fixed price attached to it, where we go... Give us a problem, and in six weeks' time, we'll come back to you with the answer. These are the outputs. This is how much it's going to cost. In effect, don't worry about how we're going to get there or who's going to do it. You're going to be incredibly happy with the, with the stuff that we, that we put together at the end of it. So that's kind of what an accelerator is. We have a shorter version of that, which is called a hack. We actually have a longer version now, which is called like 100 Days, which is a, a three-month process that we've, that we've just designed um, with different kinds of outputs. Um, it helps us talk about ourselves differently it helps us seem different um, and if you if you want to work in a way you know that's kind of value based you have to productizing yourself is a, is a really kind of good way of doing it so it's something we've thought about a lot it's a bit funky um, it takes a bit of explaining but really it's, it's designed to create processes and products that allow us to do our job really well and really fast okay and um could you tell us a bit about you and Mr. Jones and, and what that is and the relationship between blood and you and Mr. Jones? Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's based on a theory that the advertising landscape at the moment is a, a series of big agency networks that are bound up in these things called holding companies, which is you know, WPP, IPG, Publicis, Omnicom. And these organizations own like four or five different big agency networks. They also own big digital ad agency networks. They also own big media companies. Um, and they've sort of bought into a bit of technology. They are wildly inefficient organizations. And you just have to look at the, the share prices of them and how they're doing at the moment. Um, and, you know, the theory is that they're going to get extremely uh, enticing for for the management consultancy to start buying them very soon. You know, like Accenture buying WPP soon is not, uh, is not out of the question, at which point all of those proud old advertising companies will be part of a management consultancy business. You and Mr. Jones is born of a realisation that um, what clients really want to spend their money on these days is mostly driven by technology. Like the making of stuff is enabled by technology. So we are buying 
and acquiring various different marketing tech businesses and putting them together in a group. That's the simple way of putting it. So we're building a group of tech companies and Blood sits in the middle of those tech companies um, as a very lightweight, strategic and creative business. So one other thing to say is that agencies traditionally produce everything that they that they make. That's how, they, that's how they've made their money, actually, traditionally, is on the margins that they make in production. You and Mr. Jones and Blood is a way of re-engineering that where we come up with ideas centrally, but we then work with the various companies in the group to produce them. Um, and it's to everyone's benefit, and it's a really collaborative model, and it stops us from trying to get too big. So, yeah, it's a, it's a funny business. You and Mr. Jones, we've raised lots of money from investors to build a group of tech companies, and Blood sits in the middle of that as, a, as a, like an ideas shop that works with those various businesses. In some ways, we are trying to reverse engineer a, a new kind of holding company. But in other ways, we're not really interested in employing hundreds of thousands of people to make that happen. We're trying to work out how tech makes that whole piece more efficient. Okay. And what's your, um, unless, it's, unless, you know, if it's, you feel you've already covered it, but your sort of non-negotiable vision for blood and you and Mr. Jones, no matter what happens... Um, and no matter how big or small you end up being, yeah. you know, five, ten years, you can look back and say, well, we definitely did this. I think the ambition, and I should say that because the tech moves so fast, like what we say to our clients is we actually don't really know what we're going to look like in a couple of years' time because we, you know, we're shaping this according to what we think you need. I think in five years' time, a client will be able to come to you and Mr. Jones and, and blood as part of that with any kind of problem that needs solving. And we will be able to solve that problem with a combination of the different companies in the group. Um, my real ambition for the group is that a lot of that is enabled and made possible by technology. So if you imagine a world where the more problems that we solve as a group, the more patterns will emerge in the way that those problems are solved. And if we use a bit of AI, a bit of artificial intelligence in the heart of the group, we can start to recognize the problems and the patterns and the way that we've solved them before. And I think that there will become a process where, in effect, you and Mr. Jones will become a platform. And by a platform, I mean like a, a central space that creates value in both directions. So it will create value for the clients who come to it with the problems, and it will create value for the various companies that are part of the group in the same way. And, and, and we will, in effect, become like a, a, an interface between clients and technology companies solving their problems in the most efficient way possible that's the that's the ultimate ambition um and i think it's a pretty good one it's a pretty cool one i'm quite excited about trying to help build that um it's a higher order thing and, and maybe for your listeners might sound like completely you know crazy talk but i think there's going to be a tech has changed pretty much every part of our lives and i don't feel like it's changed marketing mm. in the way that it will do yet, and I think we're trying to solve for that. Okay. Um, well, we've covered some absolutely great stuff. Um, if you think you're up for it, I normally wrap up with a few questions that are less business and more fun. Um, but Give it at a go. any stage, you can say, let's move on, yeah. and my editor can cut this out. Okay. Uh, Favourite creative idea or solution you've seen recently, inside or outside of advertising and marketing? Uh, um, I go to New York quite a lot. Uh, and I walk along the High Line quite a lot just because I tend to stay in a hotel near there. And um, 
Zaha Hadid, who's like famous architect who died recently, but built some amazing buildings. Um, there's a building of hers that is going up by the High Line posthumously, as in you know, as in she's after her death. That is really amazing to look at. It's a crazy building, as are all of hers. So I would say, yeah, that building in New York is the most amazing thing on I've the, seen on recently. the High Line. On the High Line, we yeah. are. Make sure this has got that. Um, okay, I'll make sure I check that out. Do you have a favourite? Okay. Three people, dead or alive, that you'd love to invite to dinner? This is one of those, it's just a classic question, isn't it? Actually, funnily enough, over the years, I've, I've met various really successful and really famous people. And I'm not sure most of them I'd really like to have dinner with. Right. Like they're quite boring and quite driven. And like fascinating, but they talk about themselves a lot. So I, I, I think I'd like to have dinner with the three musketeers or something like that. You know, great just people, people who you know you'd have a great time with. Yeah. It would probably be quite wild. Wine and swash Yeah, party. yeah. Very good. Uh, what constitutes a perfect day for you? Um, well, I love coming to work. So if it's a work day, um, just spending time with the teams, maybe having a couple of really good meetings with clients who really value what you do, having a beer at the end of the day. Um, I, I actually like traveling for work as well. So I, I really like going to New York. I like it as a city. Um, I like the atmosphere there. Home-wise, I have I have four sons who play a lot of sports, so I, my weekends are driving them around, watching them play, and I get a lot of personal satisfaction from that. Yeah. Uh, what what sports? Um, the eldest plays rugby. Number two uh, runs a lot. Uh, number three plays football, and number four plays cricket. So it's a pretty varied great spread. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a varied so spread. You're very run up on all of these sports. Like, I, I am, and they also they all love American sports. So I'll, Sunday night we watch American football, okay. which they love. So. And, and where on the scale of um, silently supportive to? embarrassingly supportive would you put yourself I think I'm pretty good having, yeah. having seen having seen the nightmare parents on various yeah. touchlines I'm, I'm pretty discreet very good um, I yeah. used to play rugby and uh, one of my best friend's mums was um, regularly gave penalties to the other team because she'd run onto the pitch sort of screaming I've seen both that both in excitement and frustration I've seen that um, I've seen a parent punch oh, wow. a kid in a rugby match. Oh God, a kid! The last rugby match my oldest son played, someone got sent off for lamping someone, literally knocking them out. <laughs> so um, he's getting—he's fifteen, so it's getting like to that age where some of the kids are six foot four and some of them yeah. are five foot two still. Uh, but it's quite interesting. Okay, uh, what was the last song you remember singing to yourself or someone else? Uh, number two son is obsessed with Oasis at the moment okay so any Oasis song frankly like yeah. if, if I'm lucky enough to pick him up from school he insists on getting my phone getting up Spotify and playing every Oasis song through the through the cast area so uh, yes I would say She's Electric probably is the one that yeah. springs to mind although that's his least favourite Oasis song I don't really know why great taste um, if you could live to the age of 90 and retain either the mind or body of a 30 year old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you choose? Touch wood, most of my family keep their mind for quite a long time. So assuming that there's some sort of genetic predisposition to that, I'll go for the body. Okay. If a crystal ball could tell you one thing about yourself, your life, the future, the world, anything, what would you want to know? I'm really interested to know what happens when the robots do take over. Yeah. Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't want to be alive when it happens. Yeah. So, in fact, I probably don't want to see it because I think it would be a nightmare. Yeah. 
There's that thing, is it Google did? They kind of got two computers to talk to each other. I've only heard this sort of through the grapevine, but the computers figured out that the language they were talking in, was, which was a human language, obviously was uh, not the most efficient language yeah, so to they, yeah. kind of create their own language. Yeah, yeah very don't, scary. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> uh, is there an embarrassing memory from school you're willing to share? No. Uh, if you could wake up tomorrow with one superpower, what would it be? I'm not sure it's a superpower. I'd quite like to be able to fly. Yeah. I yeah. dream about that a lot. I fly in my dreams quite a lot. Not a bad dream. Um, so, yeah, that'd be quite fun. Okay. Lucy, if you look into lucid dreaming, which is like where you can kind of control your dreams, it's like the number one, you know, everyone's just like, I want to be able to do this and I can just fly in my dreams. Yeah. So you're very lucky. You don't <laughs> even have to do it lucidly. Um, okay. Last question then. And then we'll wrap up. Your house is on fire and no person or animal that you love is in it. What one object do you save? Funnily enough, like because you sent me the questions before I saw this, I, was, I, I cannot think of anything. That is really, I, no. maybe that means I'm not a material kind of like possessions type yeah. person or, or I don't have anything of sufficient yeah. sort of value. But I, I no, so long as the so long as the family and the animals were okay, I think I'd be, yeah. I'd be quite relieved. Mobile phone, presumably then, to call. Emergency services. Yes. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I'd have that. Okay, George, thanks so much. This Thank has been you. great. Really helpful for everyone listening, I hope. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.